You know, the only place in Scripture where we have the Christmas story is in Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2. And so we're given a limited amount of information about what happened on that first Christmas when, when Christ came. And we have a limited amount of material, and we also cover the birth of Christ every Christmas. So given the limited amount of material and the extent to which we cover it, it becomes a, a very familiar story. In fact, you're probably not going to hear anything new today about the Christmas story. But each Christmas we have to ask God to come in and kind of shake off our familiarity and help us to see afresh what a tremendous thing he did for us in that first Christmas. I mean, wonder of wonders. Isn't it amazing what happened? Uh, The birth of Christ, the theological term for that is the incarnation. The incarnation is one of the three legs of the Christian faith. There are three key essentials to the Christian faith. There's the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. Sometimes people say, oh, I want to go deeper uh, into the faith. Well, the depth of the Christian faith is found in those three spots. The incarnation, God becoming man through the physical birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas. I mean, that's deep. Crucifixion. God, as a man, dying on a cross for the sins of man on Good Friday. That's deep. Resurrection. God raising a dead man on Easter Sunday morning. That's deep. I mean, that's the heart of Christianity. If you believe Christ came at Christmas, Christ died on Good Friday, and Christ rose again on Easter, you've pretty well nailed the faith. You know, the, the rest is just working out the details. Details of daily life, details of eternal life. Now, the details are important because that's where we live our lives. But I I just really want to encourage you this Christmas season to, to recognize your deep personal need to believe and to grasp as best as you can all three of those events. And if you want your daily life and certainly your eternal life to make sense, you need to understand that Christ did those three things for you. Christ was born for you. Christ died for you. And Christ was raised from the dead for you. And you have a personal response to those three events. And as you believe those things, as you place your faith in the fact that, yes, those things happen, God promises that he'll move into your life, he'll forgive your sins, he'll bind up your wounds, he'll give you a new, abundant, eternal life with him forever. And you can enjoy that life here on earth while you're here, and you have the hope of enjoying that life forever in heaven even after you die. I mean, that is no small thing. That's no small thing. But the whole deal, the whole package is wrapped up in Christmas, Good Friday, and the resurrection. And your personal response to them. That's why we're taking a whole month to look at Christmas perspectives. We're going to look at Christmas through the eyes of seekers, skeptics, servants, and the Savior. The mystery of Christmas. And and it's important that you get this. We're going to jump right in where the Bible begins with the story. Matthew 2.1 says, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And in this series, we're going to try to understand the identities, the thoughts, and the actions of people who participated in that very first advent. And some of you come from a theological or a liturgical background, and you understand that the word advent means arrival. Christmas is the arrival 
of uh, the Son of God. In fact, uh, Christmas is considered the first advent, and we talk about the second advent, being when Christ comes back uh, to rule and reign as king. Uh, The first time he comes as a baby, next time he's coming back uh, as a king. In fact, the Joy to the World, the song that the band opened with today, Joy to the World is not really a Christmas song. Joy to the World is a second advent song. Joy to the World is about the second coming of Jesus Christ as king. Let the world receive its king. That didn't happen the first time. So, uh, but it's appropriate to sing it at Christmas. be appropriate to sing it any time of the year because we're looking forward to that event. But today we're going to focus on a seeker's Christmas. We're going to look at the shepherds and the wise men. Uh, Luke 2.8, we'll start with the shepherds. Luke 2.8 tells us, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Shepherds were in a pasture outside of the little town of Bethlehem, protecting their sheep from predators. Now, some predators were animals, namely wolves, and some predators were humans, namely thieves. And so the shepherds are out there, they're guarding their flocks. Now, shepherds as a class were uneducated, uncultured, they were unclean both physically and ceremonially. Uh, They were disrespected, despised, mistrusted. They were thought to be devious and dishonest. I mean, these were men who struggled for survival with a constant awareness of the low status that they occupied. In a word, they were outcasts. Matthew 2.1 tells us about some other seekers. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Uh, The wise men are at the other end of the societal spectrum from the shepherds. Uh, These are learned, scholarly men. Uh, They're kind of a blend of scientist and sorcerer. Uh, The Greek word magi really means a royal astrologer. And the magi combined the science of astronomy with the occult superstition of astrology and and searched the sky looking, looking for signs. You know, astronomy is science, astrology, uh, seriously folks, astrology is a cult, it's superstitious. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I'd encourage you not to pay attention, to re- don't be reading your horoscope, don't be doing that stuff, it'll take you in a direction you don't want to go. It's, it's a superstition. But these guys would, would blend all of this together and then use their knowledge to advise kings on matters of science and law and, and use their magic, and you can see the obvious connection between magi and magic in what they're doing. But they're, they're uh, high society seekers of information. And the shepherds and the wise men, they're from opposite ends of the spectrum. They're separated by education, affluence, status, influence, but both came in search of the Savior. I mean, which group are you more like? Are you, are you on the low end of the social scale? Or are you living with shame and guilt? Or are you elite? Uh, wealthy, prosperous. Well, the truth is, in this room, we're all somewhere in between. You know, you cast the net at both ends, you reach the middle as well. And, and, you know, the call to come to the Savior is given to us. So we're going to take a look at the steps that they use to seek the Savior. Uh, First step on your outline there is receiving a supernatural invitation. We'll start with the shepherds, Luke 2. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. 
and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Now what did they call those strips of cloth? Well, they called them swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes is really kind of a romantic uh, term, swaddling clothes. But really, babies were bound up in rags. Uh, For one thing, they didn't have diapers back then, and so they could take the rags and do with them whatever they needed to do with them after the baby had done with them whatever the baby had done with them. Okay, so you'd wrap the baby up in rags, so that's not all that uncommon. But this baby is wrapped in rags, lying in a manger. Now, what's a manger? Well, a manger is a feed trough in a barn uh, in a stable. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host. Host here means hundreds, even thousands of others. The armies of heaven praising God and saying, notice saying, not singing, saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. You know, that's the good news. Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now, it's surprising that these angels appeared to shepherds because shepherds were not a particularly righteous or even religious group. In fact, uh, they were spiritual outcasts. Their work caused them to be uh, both physically and ceremonially unclean. Uh, Shepherds weren't allowed inside the temple to participate in the the religious ceremonies because they were considered unclean. So they're basically irreligious people, and yet an angel of the Lord announced the birth of the Messiah to them. These shepherds had certainly heard of the coming Messiah. The, The coming of the Messiah was just part of the societal fabric of Israel at that time. Everyone was waiting for, hoping for, the Messiah. But they would have been shocked to have heard that this future king of the Jews would be wrapped in rags and laid in a feed trough in a barn. This manger, it's in a stable, but the stable didn't look like the little wooden stable in your nativity scene or on your Christmas cards or even on our graphic over here. Um, I mean, I love that and it's very beautiful, but it's not biblical. Uh, You know, the stable didn't look like that. I mean, for one thing, there wasn't much wood available for construction. So in that location, the the animals would have been placed in a cave or a rock or stone structure. So if you want to be biblical, what you probably need to do is go out into your backyard, get some clay, mold kind of a little mound of of mud, and put that on mom's mantle. And uh, and, and don't tell her I told you to do that, but just tell mom, just being biblical here, Okay. So the the shepherd's invitation to see the Savior had to come to them in a direct, undeniable, supernatural way. Otherwise, they would have have missed it. They they would have thought, well, this certainly doesn't apply to us. If it was just a call to the general populace, they would have disregarded it completely. They they, they would have thought, certainly that's not meant for us. And some of you may feel that way about yourself. You have shame, you have guilt that are holding you back from responding to the call to come to the Savior. I mean, you hear it and think, oh, that can't be, that's for everybody else, but that can't be for me. I'm an outcast, I don't measure up. Another group of seekers, Matthew 2. Wise men arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, how do they recognize this sign in the sky? Well, it says they were from the east, and the word there is orient. 
It may mean that they were as far away as China or India. Probably it means they're from Iran or Iraq. They're either Persian or Babylonian. And if that's the case, they may have been informed about Messianic prophecy from the Jewish exiles who lived in Babylon. I mean, there's still a remnant there, even though the the exile occurred 600 years before during the time of Daniel. There's still a Jewish community there in those areas that, you know, they may have shared with them biblical prophecy about the coming of the king. And, you know, they're interested in stars, the prophecy of Balaam in Numbers 24, 17. I mean, this would have jumped right out to these, these astronomers. It says, I see someone who will come someday. Someone who will come, but not soon. A star will come from Jacob. A ruler will rise from Israel. And so when these wise men see the sign, the star in the heavens, they knew from Scripture that it signaled the birth of the Messiah. And so they began a journey to find the new ruler of Israel. And they probably came to Jerusalem first instead of Bethlehem because it was the governmental center of Israel. Jerusalem's the most obvious place to find the successor to the throne. And once they arrived, they asked around, you know, where's the newborn king? Because they just figured everybody would know where this important person uh, was. But the supernatural invitation of this sign in the heavens to these astronomers, it was a sign they would not miss. I mean, the invitation to the shepherds, the invitation to the wise men were both supernatural, but they're very different. They were specifically sent by God to their specific audiences so they could not be missed, could not be overlooked or ignored. And when God calls you, It will be in a unique and particular way suited to you. You will know you are receiving a personal invitation from God. Now, it could be an angel. It could be a star. But that's unlikely. More likely, it's going to be a verse from Scripture that just snaps into your awareness. More likely, it's going to be the Spirit of God speaking into your head and your heart. Or it may just be an invitation from a friend for you to come to a service like this. Or it may be through a conversation with someone where where Jesus Christ is presented to you. But somehow God is going to give you a unique, personal invitation, a supernatural invitation for you to seek the Savior. You, where are you at today? Why are you here? You know, we, we ought to think about that question every time we come to church. God, what do you want to show me today? Because you're not here just to listen to some good music or or to just pass the time or even hear a good message from me. You're here today to hear a message from God. And God has an invitation, a supernatural invitation that he is extending to you. And the question is, are you seeking the Savior? Are you seeking God's message? Because, number B on your outline, seeking the Savior often requires a determined attitude. Seeking requires a determined attitude. Verse 15, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After the angels disappeared, the, the 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 shepherds didn't hesitate. I got angels and cherubs mixed in with shepherds. And wound up with uh, whatever I said. But anyway, they didn't hesitate. They hurried into town. Uh, you know, some translations say they ran to Bethlehem. Now, there were a lot of reasons they could have given for not going. 
I mean, the shepherds were accustomed to being rejected and scorned. And, you know, why would they expect they'd be given admission into an area where a newborn king is? You know, they're dirty. They're wearing their work clothes. I mean, they wouldn't be allowed anywhere near a new baby. They're, they're certainly afraid of being accosted, even arrested, by the prominent people that would be around this, this anointed one, this Christ child. And they had reasons to stay just because of their job. I mean, it was their job to protect the flock. There are wolves and thieves about. You can't just run off and go into town and leave everything unprotected. And yet the astonishing words of the angels drew them. They were determined to go. They overcame the obstacles. What about you? Are you being drawn to experience the Savior, but you're afraid to respond? You're ashamed of your past, afraid you won't be accepted by Christ. You're being held back by fear or shame or apprehension. I can assure you that the very fact that you are being drawn to the Savior, not by an angel, but just by the very Spirit of God, that fact assures your acceptance. God wants you to come to Christ. Matthew 2.7 Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And the time when the star first appeared, this is actually later than the manger scene. We learn from Matthew 2.16 that this is about, there's a two-year gap from when Jesus was born and when the wise men show up. Uh, We'll talk more about that next week. Uh, Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. Now Herod learned from where the baby was born from the religious leaders. And they looked it up and found in Micah 5.2 it says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem in, in Judea. And it's interesting. This information had been in Scripture all along. But Herod didn't seek it out until it mattered to him. You know, there are lots of things that you and I need to know that are in the Bible. We need to know them and be aware of them. But we don't look for it until we find ourselves in trouble. And then we're, you know, what, what did God say about this? Herod tells the wise men, when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. So after seeing the star, the wise men set out on a journey. Journey, if they're coming from uh, from Babylon and Persia, it's not less than 800 miles. Could have been much farther if they came from farther east. They've got a long journey. Evidently there's difficulties and setbacks because they didn't arrive for two years. They didn't arrive when the baby Jesus was in the manger. They showed up when the toddler Jesus was living in a house in Bethlehem with Joseph's family. But their journey crossed stretches of vast desert occupied by hostile people. And this is probably not three lonely guys riding on camels through the night, like we picture. This is probably a caravan, maybe even a small army, because they had to have ample provision for the trip and they had to have adequate protection for the trip. And eventually their journey brought them to Jerusalem and their encounter with Herod. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is about six miles south of Jerusalem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy, because the star led them to Bethlehem, where Jesus was. These guys had expended great effort many resources, much time on this quest. They were determined to find the new king of the Jews. Well, what's your journey of faith toward Christ been like? Has it been lengthy? Has it been arduous? Have you had setbacks? 
personal, theological, professional setbacks and things knocked you off course, or maybe you've just stopped. I just want to encourage you, do not give up the search. Do not give up the search. For some, the path is short, like the shepherds. For some, the path is long and arduous, like the wise men. But if you're here today, you are close to finding the Savior. The result of finding the Savior, see, is a transformed life. Uh, Luke 2, 17, After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. This, this personal encounter with Christ changed these outcasts. People would normally avoid contact and conversation with a shepherd. And these guys are physically, religiously unclean. These are sketchy men. And people wouldn't pay attention to anything they said. But they couldn't te- shepherds couldn't even testify in court because everybody just assumed they would lie. And now the shepherds speak of the angels, they speak of this baby, and people pause and pay attention and, and are astonished by what they said. The shepherds spoke with conviction and passion about what they'd seen. And then they returned to their fields and flocks transformed. They went back praising and glorifying God. Now, don't think everything was all cushy and smooth for the shepherds because of this encounter. I mean, they go back. The sheep still stink. Ground is still hard and cold. Next time they go into town, people probably aren't going to treat them any better. But their lives were changed even though their circumstances were not. How about us? Are we content because we have experience the birth of Christ within us or are we more controlled by our circumstances do we glorify God and praise him because our sins have been forgiven is that indicative of your life or do we mostly complain because God hasn't solved our problems or removed our pain you know shepherds still had a hard life but they praised and glorified God because of their experience with Christ what about you Matthew 2:11 the wise men The wise men entered the house, not the stable. They entered the house and saw the child, not the baby, the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Notice we have three types of gifts, not necessarily three men. And they found Jesus in a home, not in a stable, which confirms their arrival occurred a significant amount of time after Jesus' birth. Scripture tells us that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus lived in Bethlehem for about two years after Jesus was born. Now imagine that you're one of these wise men. And you have read this prophecy in in, in, uh, the ancient writings of the people of Israel. You have seen this sign in the sky. You've packed up your caravan, traveled over 800 miles through dangerous desert, arrived in a foreign city, met with the king, discovered that this child lived in a little town outside the capital. You go out there and you discover a little boy living with his mom and dad in a simple house, probably almost in poverty. I mean, you might think that you have made a mistake. You know, nothing 
about this child's appearance, about his circumstances, would indicate that he was going to be the future king of the Jews. And yet when the wise men found Jesus, they bowed down and worshipped him and they gave him gifts appropriate for a king and a savior. The gold signified royalty and acknowledged his right to rule as a king. The frankincense uh, symbolized divinity because it was burned on the altar in the temple as an act of worship unto God. Myrrh, myrrh is my favorite because myrrh would be mixed with wine and it was a primitive anesthetic. And it was also used in embalming the dead. Why would you give a two-year-old kid a gift of embalming fluid? Unless... You know, something had indicated to you that there would be suffering and death in the future for that child. How do they know all of this? Well, the same way that you know anything about the Savior, by revelation and illumination from the Spirit of God. I mean, only God could transform these, these intelligent yet superstitious magicians caught up in the occult practice of astrology and let them see with spiritual eyes instead of physical eyes that this is a sign that this child born into poverty is going to be the great king. He's the anointed Messiah. Matthew 2.11, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And these wise men obeyed a heavenly king instead of an earthly one. Even though they were well aware it would be dangerous to disregard uh, Herod's instructions. But the Magi were worshiping and following a brand new king. They were obeying a new savior. Why? Because we always follow and obey what we worship. We follow and obey what we worship. And so the question is what are you following? Who are you obeying? Because that's what you're worshiping in your life. And it may be God, but it may be money or possessions or power or property. It may be another person. It may be a wife, a husband, maybe even your kids. Whatever you follow and obey, wherever your path is pointed, that's what you're worshiping. So where are you in in this seeking process today? Uh, Are you stalled out? Do you still go to church, but nothing spiritual has happened to you in decades? Are you seeking the Savior? Or are you an outcast, maybe an addict, homeless, done something terrible, ashamed for anyone to know, afraid you won't be accepted? You're a shepherd. Or are you an inquirer like the wise men? You're intellectual, elite prosperous, high on the social ladder. You're you're gathering information before you commit to a decision about Jesus Christ. You're a wise man, a wise woman. Let me caution you. It's not really wise to wait to make a decision for Christ. It's not really wise to wait. You need to come to him, come to him when he calls. Now the truth is for us, we're probably somewhere in the middle. We're all somewhere in the middle between the outcast and the elite. But we have the same hesitations. We have to have the same determination. We have to make a decision to come to the Savior. And when you come, He will accept you. He will forgive your sins. He will bind up your wounds. 
He will give you meaning and purpose for your life, and he'll remove your doubts. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I don't want to put my trust in someone, and, and, and then it doesn't pan out. Well, you know what? The trust, the proof of trust happens in the relationship. You know, you always have to step out first and trust. You have to step out in faith in order to prove the relationship. That's what faith is all about. And today, wherever you are, outcast, elite, or somewhere in between, God is giving you a personal, supernatural invitation in this moment to come to Jesus Christ as a Savior. To recognize He was born for you at Christmas. He died for you on the cross at Good Friday. And He was raised from the dead on Easter for you. And God invites you to believe in him. Let's pray together. God, your word has promised that that those who seek me find me. And so, God, we just would pray that as we are here today as seekers, that you would help us to find you, that you would make yourself known to us in this moment. God, help us to trust in you today. And maybe you're here today and and, and you've never made the connection. You've never connected the dots from Christmas to Good Friday to Easter. You've never recognized that Jesus Christ did those three things for you. So that you could find a new, eternal, abundant life with God. That God could heal you of your wounds. That he could help you with your hurts. That he could offer to you a life meaning and purpose here and a life of pleasure throughout eternity with him. God, today we come to you.